0: Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology and design.
1: everybody uh you are watching listening to whatever human factors cast this is episode 261 we're recording this episode live on October 20th 2022 and uh, I'm on a good one as well as <laughs> my co-host here I'm joined today by mr Barry Kirby
2: hey there how are you it's been so long since I've seen you
1: hey it has been so long that 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 little pause there was was quite dramatic thank you for the dramatic pause <laughs> <laughs> hey we got a great show for you all tonight we're gonna be talking about how smart phones are promising satisfaction and meaning but a new study we'll talk about that shows they deliver only more searching we'll also answer some of the questions from the community about some short and fun icebreaker games for your teams feeling lonely and isolated as a ux researcher and conducting user interviews over chat but first hey uh usually uh, around this time and we see the numbers and thank you so much for everybody we um usually get a lot of Uh, sort of new listeners around conference coverage. So um, thank you for joining us on our main show. This is Human Factors Cast. And if you're joining us because of our HFES coverage, welcome. We're so glad to have you here. And we hope that you stick around for some of our main show stuff. Uh, Speaking of HFES, we have a ton of, of coverage for you. If you'd like, you can go listen to our full 10-hour live stream that includes the presidential keynote address, uh the the sorry, the presidential address, the keynote address by Craig Bowman uh from Boeing. Really good talks, our commentary on all that is not included in any of the side pieces kind of set alone uh that we've put out on our podcast feed. So if you're interested in that, go check it out on YouTube. Again, 10-hour live stream. You can kind of check for the bits and pieces that you missed. Everything else has been packaged up nice and neatly into what six individual episodes for you that we've dropped over the last week so hopefully you've had a great time listening to those as much as we've had uh, talking with those folks Uh, all that stuff was happening all that stuff that went out over the last week happened in one day so that was um, a really really busy day for us and really great to have that all out there for you all to enjoy Uh, speaking of new stuff we do have a couple show trailers so there's now a show trailer for human factors cast and there's a show trailer for 1202 the human factors podcast if you are trying to convince your friends to watch the show, maybe send that them send them those trailers their way because that might help convince them to watch the show. And really, the word of mouth helps the show grow. If you like what we do, you want to support us, that is probably the best way you can do so other than to keep listening.
2: Uh, but speaking of 1202, Barry, what's going on over there? So at 1202, we've been talking about proactive learning. So this has been an interview with Dr. Marcin Nazarek where – He's been doing a lot of work around um, understanding safety, safety risk, how we identify it. And he's got years and years and years of experience. And one of the things he sort of identified is as we've got better at it, it's actually harder to, you know, the, the more historical approach to safety is all around saying, oh, an accident happened. How do we fix it? Or actually then we got to near misses, right? We, a knee miss happened. How do we stop that from, from happening in the future and, and stop it from evolving into something bigger? But now he's been looking at organisations and said, "Well, actually, how do we learn just from organisations? How do we learn from what people do on a normal basis, or as he calls it, how do we learn from normal work?" And so that's been a fascinating interview, and so much so we're going to leave it like um, as the main interview for a, 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 a third week. So starting from next week, the the drop that we've got we we're going to have go live. I'm postponing because people are really enjoying this one, so we're going to do that. Um, and also, really interestingly, with this episode, we've actually got. The advert that you just mentioned dropped into this one as the breaker between the before the final three, which was a um, a, a, a fun crafting exercise to make that happen. So um, go and see, go and have a watch of that on YouTube. Before nothing else, just to see how we crowbar that in. Yeah. <laughs>
1: it's uh thank you for that we're trading trailers so you you get the little bump at the top and a and a post roll and i get that one right in the middle uh so thank you all right well hey we're here to talk about the news so why don't we get into the news that's right this is the part of the show for better or worse that we talk about human factors news
2: Barry, for better or worse what is the story this week so this week, this, the, uh, the story is all about smartphones promising the satisfaction of meaning, whereas they deliver only more searching, a study has shown. So smartphone users will be disappointed if they expect their devices and social media to fill that need for purpose and meaning. In fact, it will probably do the opposite, researchers have found in a recently published study. So the research was seeking to understand the complex relationship between meaning-seeking and technology by analysing data from the Baylor Religious, Religion Survey Their research, Maladies of Infinite Aspiration, Smartphones, Meaning-Seeking, and um, uh, Nomigenesis, I told you I was going to get that wrong, Um, was published in the Journal of uh, Sociological Perspectives. The researchers provided uh, a sociological link to the psychological studies that point to connections between digital services and media use with feelings of loneliness, depression, unhappiness, suicidal ideation, and other poor mental health outcomes. Researchers concluded that smartphone attachment could be a, a, a nomogenic, causing a breakdown in social values because the unstructured and limitless options they provide for seeking meaning and purpose and inadvertently exacerbating feelings of despair while simultaneously providing to resolve them. They go on to say that the act of seeking itself becomes the only meaningful activity, which is the basis of anime and addiction. So the, the researchers found a connection between this search for meaning and feelings of attachment to your own smartphone, which they suggest is then the possible precursor to technology addiction. One positive outcome, though, the researchers found is that identifying a satisfying purpose for life seems to provide a protective effect against a sense of attachment and enemy. though this effect is not as strong as the opposite effect of meaning-seeking. Taken together, it's possible that the media use bolstered by purpose such as through family, work, or faith is less likely to produce alienating looking effects for the individual, so Nick, can I just drag you away from your phone and your phone addiction there to ask you what your thoughts are on the um, on on this article?
1: Uh, oh yes, sorry, sorry, I've been doing this for what six years, and I was on my phone my bad uh no i <clears throat> what are my thoughts uh... Can you tell that I haven't prepared? So the 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 initial thought on this, this headline, smartphones promise satisfaction and meaning deliver only more searching study shows. Okay, that is a provocative headline. And I read through, you know, a little bit of this during the news uh, recaps that we do and thought, oh, yes, this is a great point of conversation. I know Barry has a picture that he likes to share uh, when he talks about this very subject. So let's, let's go ahead and throw it in the pile. Um, And full disclosure, we forgot to do, we forgot to do a poll with all the excitement of HFES. And so we thought that this one was a good story. Uh, After you sort of explained to me a little bit more about some of the other (laughs) stuff going on with this study, I am um, intrigued with where this conversation is going to go. Can I leave it at that? I'm intrigued with where we're we're going to go.
2: Yeah. No, that, that, that's a good, good bluff. I like it. Um, (laughs) Let me go back with because I've I've done my preparation I've done my but my background work. Very um, saving the show today <laughs> again, again. Um, It is an interesting study, um, and I, I like because it is something I'm quite keen on researching. I do a lot of talks based on the what are the what's the impact of technology upon uh, society on uh, on culture and and things like that. Um, both as a as a provider and a um, as an interactive piece of itself. So. I like I like the 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 idea behind this. I like people are looking at the um at the the whole question. However, I do have a bit of a caveat to that with this particular study because, as it says in there, it is based on a from the Baylor Religion Survey, and you could see on the face of it that actually where this data is sourced or how this data is sourced or the just the underlying um, biases that might exist um, might have um under, underlying reasons by why why the the data has come out the way that it has i think that having and I, was, I sort of said this in the in the pre show to a certain extent normally when we do these type of uh talks and, and discussions i'll you know look at the article the article's brilliant and then if, it, if there's something interesting i'll dig into the uh, into the underlying paper a bit more but generally not so much as a rule we we tend to just talk on the um, on the reflection of the of the article this one, I've dived into the paper. I've dived into, into, the, um, into the underpinning um, questionnaire. I've dived, dived into the... Because um, they do, they've do they done a number of repetitive surveys, um, what they call waves. And this is wave five. So I've looked at wave six. I've looked at wave one, two, three, four, um, just because I, I'm really um, intrigued by it. So and wh- I, I don't know. There's, there's a bit of an alarm bell ringing somewhere, but I don't know whether that's a, a justified alarm bell or not. So I think we probably need to talk a bit about that.
1: We we could talk about that. I almost I almost want to frame this let let's absolutely talk about it, but I almost want to frame this discussion around like what are smartphones doing to us as humans? Mm, <laughs> it's like yes. a larger question. And um basically what are the human factors implications of that, right? Because that's that's what the show is all about is human factors. Let's let's start by getting the ugly out of the way. Let's let's talk about the methodology. Barry, what did you find
2: in your digging? Well, I, I found new words um as you can tell when I was reading that out then um anomie is is uh, anomie depending on how you want to pronounce it um that is something you you find in the dictionary that is the lack of usual social or ethical standards in an individual or a group and and that is a you know relatively well used term but then in this study and i think it's in this study um that they then got an expanded expanded that word so uh, anomogenic is a word that's been introduced to describe how smartphones may produce anime or anime because of the unstructured and limitless options they provide for speaking for seeking meaning and purpose so then they get into the other word that hit me from right uh, from the top is the ano- uh, anomaly um which is then presumably that that piece around um you know the the, the implications of this so that whole bit was just like, you, you, you're creating brand new words for this. That that, that was something else. Because I, I just went to Google and tried to Google it, and Google was just like, uh-uh, you clearly mean something else. Um, so that's interesting in of itself. So they're for better or worse, they're creating new language. Um, not something I like to do when you're trying to explain concepts. So then the methodology itself. So they have um, the... Um, the Baylor University do a Baylor religion survey. They've done a number of waves of it in the past, and um, we'll put the link in the show notes. Um, but fundamentally, they do um, the these surveys to, as they put it, their purpose is to provide the public and other researchers with the unique data concerning religion, health, and community in America today. We're up to your questions and your requests. And so they do these different waves, and this is from wave five where they've been talking about um american values and uh mental health and using technology in the age of trump so interesting um so there, there's a, and actually you read through it there's some interesting bits in there we were picking into it in the in, in the in the pre-show and stuff and, and there's some some good bits there so what they did was actually take out um the on some of the responses used in this in this particular survey focusing on uh, information and communication technology uh, so ICT devices use as well as questions related to the meaning and purpose of meaning in life questionnaire to show that where devices promise satisfaction and meaning they often deliver the opposite um so yeah so they, they've got the whole questionnaire so they've basically picked out a, cu- a couple of the questions and um done the whole correlation piece on them and great you know that that's that's a good a Uh, an interesting use of the data um i guess my radar is going off because it's it's fundamentally a um it's based in a religion survey then which is you know one type of approach of getting people to come together and coalesce around a um a single thought or action is there an underpinning bias where actually is there a bit of almost jealousy there that there's another device taking away thought and action but then there's some interesting bits around in the um in the results themselves where they they identify where people are using mobile phone devices to um to to pray and things like that but fundamentally one of the big bits that they don't do is they don't actually know what people were doing on their phones uh, throughout their their whole period so and they 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 do what we all good researchers do which is turn around and say that's a that's a good question for future research which is fabulous so I've got sort of I guess some um Things around the methodology itself but i think what you said is absolutely right we all know that smartphones have an effect in in our life one way or another um i shared um a a photo with you before uh, beforehand and um i use that in all of my lectures around where i talk around the social impact of technologies and to to paint a picture it's a photo of me and my wife on a date and where she sat at the opposite me um and we were at a, 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 a well-known uk pizza, pizza restaurant and we we ha- i thought we were going to have deep deep and meaningful conversation and i look up and she's just there on her phone phone right in front of her face like this um and so i was like right i'll just have a photo of that and so i'm taking a photo of her just on a phone and i now use that in all of my lectures going forward and have done for the past three years um and I think that's, that it is really important that we, we sort of dig into that rather than focus on the method, methodology of, of how it's done. Methodology is done now, and, and I'm over with. So what yeah. do you think about the actual use of mobile phones? Hold on one second. I,
1: I want to poke a, one more hole as we're talking about the methodology. Okay. And just to just to sort of indicate the level of bias that we're dealing with here, uh, regardless of political affiliation, regardless of religious affiliation or identity, um You can see this uh, bias already creeping in with some of the ways in which they title some of the segments of their report. I'm going to read the title here. The Sacred Values of Trumpism. So there you go. That just indicates a little bit of the bias that's creeping into this study. And I guess it's a cautionary tale to, if you see a headline, dig more into it like Barry did. Don't just throw it into the pile like Nick did. Uh, And I've been caught on this before too, right? But, but, (laughs) but I think this can still be saved because again, uh, as we're sticking with the religious theme, we can save this. Uh, (laughs) No? All right. That joke didn't land. So we can, um, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Right. What do you want me to do? Walk on water? (laughs) Yeah, right. Here we go. So, Let's actually talk about what cell phones mean for us in society talk, today. Talk about some maybe we
2: practices.
1: yeah, maybe we can juxtapose this with some things from this, uh, based on what they're saying here. But I think for me, there's the first thing I'll talk about is sort of the generational divide. Yep. I think there are um, the aging population kind of sees them as uh, cell phones, not people, cell phones as, um, I don't know, just overall, there's sort of this perception that they are corrupting youth <laughs> in some ways, mm-hmm. right? And and I don't think that is controversial to say. I think there are some very different opinions based on which generation that you're born in um, and how you view cell phones. Like for me, millennial, uh, I, I look at my phone as a tool. Um, I'm on it quite frequently, but... It is a tool to not only solve boredom, but also to, uh, it's my calculator. It's my reference uh, sheet. So that way I don't have to have everything in, you know, hard copy. Um, it is literally a tool for anything. It's it's an omni-tool. It's it a ubiquitous tool that I can sit there and reference at any time. And I think some of this, um, some of these opinions from other generations and maybe within my own, Uh, from people towards smartphones in general come from the types of usage that happens on these apps or or on these phones, right? The the various types of apps that are present on these phones, and more importantly, the design of those apps that encourages behaviors that are not pro-social. So what I'm talking about there is social media companies optimizing their algorithms for outrage so that way it uh, you know sort of increases um divisiveness when it comes to looking at, I don't know, a news story or something that is clearly talk about bias, biased in some way, shape or form, it's going to alarm some, uh, probably you know irrationally, and it's going to uh, or it could have the opposite effect of um sort of instigating a fight between various people who believe different things there's a lot going on there. Um, but I think ultimately, when we talk about corruption of youth, <laughs> that is kind of what we get at at the heart of things is how are these apps designed that is the perception of what people are using their cell phones for? How are people actually using their cell phones? Barry, do you derive meaning from your cell phone? How, how do you use your cell phone? Let's we'll start there.
2: So I guess for me, yes, it is one of these things that um, like you, I use it as a tool, but I use it for such a broad variety of things. I I I like the you see some um, pictures and memes and stuff of, of it using it like a window um, or an access portal to to get all that sort of stuff. So it is all around you know everything from my diary and, and all that sort of stuff having that connected element um, doing show notes. So I'll I'll open up the the show notes up at the uh, the dinner table and we'll all chatter chat around or what the um, what the topic is and what, you know, what my one more thing can be. So then I can t- I can tap notes straight in at the dinner table, then come up and, and finish them up. So it's a good quick access route to to work stuff, to to that type of thing. But then also it is the, um, the meaningless um, time-wasting as well. So when you're waiting for something to happen or, um, you know, you just sat around doing nothing, I think we've, or certainly I feel like I've lost the ability just to sit and be in my own space. You always have to be doing something, and so now the the de facto doing something if you haven't got anything to do is to pick up your phone and and either, you know, look at the lo- uh, the latest news on Twitter or Facebook or um, pick a social media uh, social media framework uh, network or play games, you know, things like that, just simple games that you can do or, or whatever, um, play them and and so it does become a device that you always want to have on you want to become and we don't want to put it down and i think this is one of the really I, I get the 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 drive for addiction here because you don't want to put it down because you might miss something you might miss a bit of news breaking or you might just miss a mention on um, um on a social media network or, or things like that and this is where i think it really brings in um, something that i've talked to or we've talked about before on here and i, I talk about a fair bit in, in other things is the difference around digital natives and digital immigrants um and non-digital people and it's just about so digital immigrants are people who come in and use you know adapt themselves to technology in, in the same way that you would learn a second language um you learn to use it but it, it's not necessarily 100 your world but it but you learn to use it pretty proficiently and i think most of us who are sort of millennials and older sort of fit into that um then you get your digital natives which are sort of millennials and and, and younger um and they're just complete they, because they think about this sort of stuff um differently then it's just there to be used and they use it all of the time and so it isn't a um uh, especially event to pick up a phone and use it it's just natural they're just there it is that it is the source we don't think about oh how cool that source is there uh, that that information is there to have it's like well of course it's there it's always been there why wouldn't it be there um and so that there is a different and there is um sort of that generational divide because it does bring one of the broader questions in and it's about um which, which you alluded to is it's this perception of what is um Communication. What is a community? What is that sort of engagement? Because we sort of look at this as saying, "Well, actually, it's a it, it's the physical interaction with with people. You can't have any sort of relationship if you're not meeting face to face." Well, actually, you could argue that um, we we meet loads and loads of people all the time. Are we talking to people all the time? We, but we may be what we might not be having is deeper, meaningful relationships. We might be having more and more uh, superfluous relationships, um, which is something interesting that we kind of need to um, think about what the impact is so when we're looking at how we are a more remote society um, is that a good thing or a bad thing I mean if we didn't have this ability to connect I mean I know we're not doing it through a um, mobile phone at the moment but we do we chat on discord and, and things like that outside of this is that a bad thing or a good thing we would never have been able to meet or well technically we still have never met But yet we know an awful lot about it. I mean, we we spent the entire day with each other the other day, Um, you know, which we wouldn't have been able to do without this sort of technology. But does that mean that we don't have a um, you know a good relationship in that respect? Do we not know that much about each other? Well, that's clearly not true. So yeah. So what are the is is that is physical connectivity needed for a human relationship? And therefore, the, the the mobile phone is taking or the smartphone is taking that away. Or is it, uh, do we just need to look at relationships differently? Nick, what do you think?
1: I think you're right. Let's think about relationships differently, but I want to, I want to tackle a point that you made about sort of pulling out your phone to fill time and chasing the news or anything like that, or chasing sort of, um, understanding of the world in some way, shape or form. And, and, what I mean by that is not necessarily news, but if somebody posts on a social channel, are, are you chasing to know what the latest is with your friends? Are you chasing to kind of know, keep up to date with your network uh, on LinkedIn, those types of things? I want to bring up a point of, of like what is actually happening at a biochemical level with us when we are looking at our phones, right? So we are pulling out our phones because we're bored and we're seeking some sort of dopamine hit. Um, you know, and that is a hallmark of addiction is when you seek that dopamine from some source and you get those withdrawals when you don't have it. And so, yes, phone addiction is a real thing and can happen. But at a basic biological level, that's what we're doing is we're seeking a dopamine, a dopamine hit. And what, what do we get from those or what triggers those dopamine hits? Well, in some cases it can be like, you know, I don't know, following good news if you if you read a bunch of good positive headlines um that are are just generally good uh, for the world, then that's great. Um, you're gonna get that dopamine hit. If you're following your friends and family who post positive things, who post positive things about their lives, this is where it gets a little tricky because you might see something. People put on their best selves on social media. Uh And so you might see something that makes you jealous. And then um, you start to have a different body reaction to that where you're like, oh, but they're you mean they're in Paris right now and I'm in the States and they're enjoying themselves on a vacation. And I'm sitting here working and there's these complex feelings. Maybe jealousy creeps in like I want to be on vacation. Oh Nick and barry they're they're covering h f e s Nick is there at the conference, and Barry's jealous that was uh, that yeah, right so I mean there's we put on our best selves when we present ourselves to the world, and that alone is um a lot of interesting feelings that go on with that, and something that um I guess was brought up in therapy for me and i'm I'm being fully candid here, I chase the news. Uh, for that dopamine hit myself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, politics, I'm a p- politics junkie. And so sometimes I will sit there and and read the news all day just to get some more information, especially during election season. Right now, I've actually been very good at putting it down. <laughs> HFES was a good distractor for all that. <laughs> uh, and I haven't really picked it up too much. But um, that is something that can happen. And one question that my therapist kept bringing up is what will happen if you miss some of that news? Will you as a person change? Uh fundamentally, because you don't know a piece of information. If there is anything big, you will likely hear about it. Um, if you know you miss something about the next Star Wars movie being released, is it gonna kill you? Well, maybe I don't know. I'm a huge Star Wars fan <laughs> I'd love to know. Right. And the same thing can go with other aspects of your life. What is going to happen if you miss this thing? Um, if you miss the premiere of a, a Disney Plus show that airs at midnight your time <laughs> to, to actually sleep. Are you, are, are you going to be fundamentally different if you watch it in the morning? No. Um, so starting to think about some of those things and really there's a, sort of a call for more awareness about what these types of things that we do to chase this dopamine, to chase these hits uh, do for mental health. And I don't think... A lot of the platforms that we use now for news or social media or otherwise, video games do a good job of this. There are some disclaimers in them, obviously, like in video games. If, if you feel unwell or you feel like spending a thousand dollars on this game, don't do it. Uh, you know, consult a doctor. You know, those types of things, and they're there, but they're largely ineffective. Um, I think there's other discussions around what we can do for policy. And and regulation that would help with some of those things, but I just think a larger awareness sort of 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 around mental health and what these types of interactions do. And I know there are good researchers out there, and I know there are good designers out there who are trying their best to sort of present um, situations where maybe there is something that might be ultimately detrimental to a, a human, but is you know better for the platform. As a whole, And that they're trying to reconcile that in their own conscious as they're trying to design something that somebody else has told them to make that may be sort of, you know, damaging for people in general. I understand we have a social thought. Barry, do you want to read
2: this? Yeah, so I like like we try and do now. So whenever we put a topic out, out there, we try and get some people's thoughts and interactions. And this one um, came in from Mark Jones, who's a um, good friend of mine, lives just down the road. And um, he's not a human factors practitioner at all. He, in fact, he's an electrician, um, but he's been bought into uh, listening to um, our podcasts and learning more about it, which is brilliant. So, anyway, Mark um, says that he took the car for an MOT this morning and had great intentions of reading his book. Three hours he was there, and Facebook and TikTok grabbed his attention. He sometimes wishes that he didn't have social media anymore. He's got six books he wants to read, but his phone won't let him. And that's quite true. I mean, I'm I'm an avid reader, and um, I've got my, I love. When I'm away on business, it's my absolute favourite thing to do. Is to make I, I never switch the telly on. Um, I've got, always got my book there. But I have noticed more and more. I'm I will sit there and scroll through the. T- I mean, you can lose hours on TikTok um, just doing that, or reels off um, and and the shorts and doing which platform you're playing with. And you can just lose that. And I can sort of see. I, I'll read a bit of my book and then I'll pick up my phone again and and, and have a bit more of a thing because that, that's not even trying to find the latest news. It's just scrolling through stuff, uh, which I think is a relatively new phenomenon, but it but it's interesting. Um, and,
1: and I'm just going to comment on this, too, because it's not just with social media, too. It's like with mobile games, too. A lot of mobile games that you access through your phone are now sort of designed in ways that just uh, the, the one more cycle is, mm. is sort of the... Uh, the concept, right, where you have sort of these these behavioral paths and video games in which you complete a cycle. And that could be like an upgrade cycle or a level up cycle or something. And you have enough of these cycles going on at any one given time that you're just close enough to finishing off the next one. So you're like, why don't I just do that? And then I will be done. But then. When you've completed that, you're very close to the next one. And so it becomes more and more difficult to peel away from those types of interactions when you have mobile games that are designed in that way to encourage that loop, that gameplay loop is what they call it. And so that's another sort of uh, aspect of it. And that gameplay loop concept is applied to any of the things that you're using, right? A TikTok. You watch something for a couple seconds; it holds your attention. You flip on to the next one. That's the loop. That loop is so small, so short. Um, What that does for our attention span is a completely different uh, subject and topic. But that is the loop. And so, when you think, just one more, just one more, just be a couple seconds more. You're sitting there for 30 minutes later. You know, and we're contributing to that. Thank you for plugging that, by the way, Barry. We have
2: shorts out (laughs) on our social platforms now. (laughs) I guess the. The, the next step we've got with this then, um given that we've 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 almost spoken about how um worrying and how bad this is, the flip side is right what can we do in terms of human factors perspective to to do stuff stuff around it? So when we designing this stuff, um can we engineer social failsafes or can can we engineer our way out of this? and I think Nikki, you've got some um, um, good, good examples of best practice perhaps.
1: Yeah, so there are some ways in which we can think about, well, how do we do this, right? There's there's the obvious ones like, let's not take advantage of human psychology in ways that are going to be beneficial for our pocketbooks, but maybe not so beneficial for society. There's that. But then there's also, um, are there ways in which we can hijack our relationships with our phone? And I've talked about this on the show before, but there are certain... Um, I guess I'm just going to say the name of it. Jackbox Games is a perfect example. It actually hijacks your phone as an interaction method. So that way, as you are playing a social game with other people, you cannot be distracted by your phone because you are interacting with your phone as a control mechanism for this game. What if we took that concept and applied it to other aspects of life, work, school, right? What that might, what might that look like? So in a classroom setting, if you actually have some sort of platform that allows you to engage and interact with concepts that are being taught in the classroom, um, yes, that's a lot more work for teachers and they're already overworked. But can you imagine what that would do to reduce distractions and increase engagement? Because you are no longer just a passive listener. You are actually engaging with platforms. And this is what some... um there are some, uh, um, technologies out there already that are looking at this type of thing, like, uh, in classroom polls and, uh, you know, pop quizzes that you answer on your phone, on your devices. So that way you have to be engaged. You have to stay awake and aware of what's going on at any given time. Um, because if you don't, then you're going to miss these things and hopefully you're not punished for them, but you're rewarded for, you know, that's a whole other discussion too, right? We're, just throwing out other discussions that we can have, (laughs) but those types of interactions, right? And if you think about what happens at work, right? Is there some sort of way in which we can design workspaces that hijack this thing too? I don't know of any current technologies out there that look at a workspace in this way where Mm -hmm. we're sort of using our phone as a control device. I can think of maybe um, one example might be in retail stores where they actually have employees using the apps on their personal phones. So that way they have to use the apps while they're on the floor and not be distracted by other things um, while they're helping out customers, right? So that's that's one, uh, I guess, example of it, but I think there might be other ways to sort of, I don't wanna say monopolize because that's not great in this context, but sort of, uh, <laughs> Sort of use that technology or use that paradigm of using our cell phones, hijacking our cell phones. I'm, that's what I call it. To sort of act as an interaction method
2: um, for our day to day. I guess the flip side is true as well. So I've worked on, I guess the in, in the military environment. So there's certain certain element, element places where you can go, you just can't take your phone at all. Mm-hmm. And you walk, you walk in, and in fact, well, for a number of years, um, place where as soon as you walked in, you put your, you locked your phone away and you had no interaction with it except for you could go outside and and check it but you weren't allowed to bring it on the floor floor plate so most of your time you weren't allowed it and it was interesting the I guess the 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 way I felt going through that so initially I was like well how dare you how how you know I'm not gonna do anything bad with my phone what I don't wanna take why take it away from you you're you're cutting off a limb you know um but actually I once you get into again, you, you it's like I guess like anything, you get used to it, um, and you're just like, yeah, I'll go, go out and check it a couple of times. But actually, it was fine, just sat in there doing its own thing until you forgot what number locker you locked it in, um, which was happened to me once, and that that was slightly painful. Um, so yeah, so I guess it. What's um, I think my wife would quite happily agree that she's um, maybe got a, a bit of a smartphone addiction. Um, yeah where you know she's now um done it in a way that she at night she'll pass me her phone so i plug it in on my side of the bed so she can not get she she can't wake up in, in the middle of the night and um and just immediately pick it up and, and look at it um which is good from behavioral perspective she's had, she's addressing and and dealing with the problem except as we found last night i woke up mid, middle of the night to find her on her phone is because she'd actually gone out crept around the side around the outside of the bed so she didn't wake me up quietly un- unhook the phone and-, and take it back and that's not quite delivering what it is that you wanted to deliver so i think we've considering you didn't plan it we've done, we've had a really really good conversation around that um is there um any more sort of loose rounds or fi- final thoughts that you've got on this one <clears throat> for me it's just sort
1: of an awareness piece understand why uh it's more like a PSA than anything right like understand why you're reaching for your phone are you trying to fill that boredom what would happen if you took a couple more seconds to think about i don't know whatever else you got going on instead of sort of using it as a distraction i've been exercising this in practice it's fine it's totally fine if i miss what's going on on twitter it's fine i'll hear about it if it's really important Uh, otherwise there's no reason for me to get outraged about anything um, what about you, Barry? Any other sort of last?
2: I guess words? there was one one bit of the study that was interesting. That I um, so one of the key findings was that that feeling of attachment is highest for those who use social media less often. Um, however, the researchers found that individuals seeking solace or connection through their phones in shorter spurts might exacerbate the attachment. So basically, the people who were using it um, uh, using social media more actually didn't add, add less of a problem here, which I thought was was interesting. But for me. Mm-hmm. I, d- I still wonder, um, it goes back to a comment you made at the start, is Is this truly a problem that is a real problem, or is it a made-up problem by people who don't understand how phones work? Um, and that might just be me trying to get around my, um, just doing some self-justification there. But given that we sort of say that they are really antisocial, well, actually, I um, it's part of the you know, it's one of the comments I, I usually make in my presentations is, well, actually, it's only antisocial to the people that, that perhaps you're in front of, but you're you're actually talking to a whole bunch of people, just because they're not in the room. Um, so who's got the problem? Which is interesting. Anyway, so but yeah. whilst um, yeah, I think the article might have been slightly dubiously sourced. I think it provoked a good discussion. So well done. <laughs>
1: Well, thank you to us for selecting the topic because we forgot to do the poll this week. Thank you to uh, Baylor University for a news story this week. If you want to follow along, we do post the links to the original articles in our weekly roundups in our blog. You can also join us in our Discord for more discussion on these stories and much, much more. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back to see what's going on in the Human Factors community right after this.
0: Human Factors Cast brings you the best in Human Factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce. But we can't do it without you. The Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us. Yes, huge thank you, as always, to
1: our patrons. We especially want to thank our honorary Human Factors cast staff, patron Michelle Tripp. Truly, patrons like you keep the show running. Like, I always make the joke, lights on, all that. Truly, it does. Uh, like, that support is, uh, is is uh, it goes a long way. And I don't think people may, may or may not know how long, how far that support goes. Um, we have a whole lab that we need to support. But I want to talk about something during this little section of the show where I like to talk about things related to... Uh, supporting us, um, we typically have patrons choose the news, which I alluded to, we forgot to do, but there was a lot of excitement around HFES. So forgive me, I was on a flight on Friday and I forgot to put it up. Uh, so we chose the story this week. However, most of our stories, like 99.9% of our stories, this is the 0.1%, are chosen by you, the audience. Now, if you are listening to the show, um, please interact with us on social media after we just had a long discussion about what social media can do for you. Um, <laughs> This is dumb. So I should have planned this better. Um, we do post the links uh, to these polls on our website. So if you follow the link back to our website, you'll see the Twitter poll there. Uh, you can actually choose leave a vote on Twitter or LinkedIn. We have a poll there as well about what you want to hear about. Uh, and this is usually just a couple stories that we've picked uh, off the top of our heads. And we're like, yes, we can we can have a discussion about this. Uh, it might be, you know a biased source or methodology, not sound, but we can, we can talk about it. Uh, So anyway, there's that. And if you're a patron, your vote counts a little bit more than everybody else's. We like to, like I said, they, they keep the lights on. So we like to give them what they want. Uh, And, and um, we always kind of give them preferential treatment. All right. With all that being said, uh, go, go vote on some stuff. And, and you know what, just generally go vote Uh, here in the States. It's election season. So if you've got your ballot, just go vote. So there's that Um, anyway. Let's get into this next part of the show.
0: It came from. It came
1: from. You know, we've had that intro to this segment for like the better part of a year. I need to redo that because it's just dumb uh, visually. And I don't know what we need to do to fix it. Anyway, there's that. Uh, So if you're listening to the show, sorry, but there's a stupid (laughs) intro on video that you can watch. If you check us out on social media, again, plugging the social media on an episode about the dangers of social media. So there we go. Uh, Let's get into (laughs) it came from. This is the part of the show where we search all over the Internet to bring you topics that the community is talking about. If You find these answers useful. Give us a like to help other people find this content. Uh, We have three up tonight. This first one here is a fun one. This is by Evil Piggy on the user experience (laughs) subreddit. They write, what are some what are some fun and short icebreaker games for your teams? Barry, what do you use as icebreakers?
2: I don't. Icebreakers make me just die a little bit inside. Soon, I've got to It's one of these things that um I I just don't like them. And whenever, you know when you, you go on a course and things like that and the the the, the first thing that the um organizer says is right to get to know everybody, we're going to do an icebreaker. And I just a little part of me just, just shrivels up. Um, though I I get the reason why we do them and they are really, really useful and and from that perspective. Um, but I'm not going to play the game of this one. I'm not going to tell you which ones work well because I don't want anybody to do them at all. Is that been really sort of down on this? You must have some really good ones though. I do.
1: Yeah. So the the one that I like the most is Two Truths and a Lie. Um, and I will play it with you. You don't have to answer. And I, actually, I'm not going to tell you the answer, um, because if anyone's listening and wants to play along, they can do so, too. But I find that two truths and a lie is really interesting because it forces people to get creative. It forces people to sort of think outside the box. If they're prepared for it ahead of time, they can come up with some really good things. Um, and so I, I always have sort of one that I like to give people. Uh, and I have that here. I will tell you. But um, it also forces others to sort of, you know, reflect on what, it, it forces people to reflect on human psychology, which in a lot of cases is really interesting. Yeah. So here, here, here are my three. Uh, I am Facebook friends with Terry Crews and know them personally. Cool. That's one. Two, I've urinated on a Jonas brother. Less cool. Three, I can one hand clap. That's a skill. Which one do you think is the lie?
2: I don't think you're friends with Terry Crews. Mm.
1: Well, I will leave that to everybody's judgment. If you want to know the answer, come join us in Discord. There you go. Another plug for the Discord. There
2: you go. Good check okay. that out.
1: All right, uh, all right. This next one here, um, feeling lonely, and i I'll tell you in the I'll I'll tell you in the post show. <laughs> uh, or I'll, I'll I'll text it to you uh, in in our chat here. Uh, <laughs> this next one here is by Panda Puddin on the UX Research subreddit. Feeling lonely and isolated as a UX researcher. Uh, <laughs> sorry, during the pre-show we um we read this to a <laughs> a melancholy music track. Anyway. Uh, And an upbeat one, too. They go on to write, hi, everyone. How common is it to feel lonely and isolated working as a UX researcher? Is UX research inherently a solitary role? I work at a large company on a team of UX researchers that serves 10-plus product teams. I rotate to a new product team every five weeks for a new study. I rarely collaborate with other researchers, and my involvement with the product teams is minimal outside of intro meetings, kickoffs, presentations, I feel very separated from the teams I work with, and it's been a challenge to build rapport in the span of a single project. As someone who's energized by close collaboration and feeling part of a cohesive team, I'm concerned that as a UX researcher, I will always be seen as a consultant on the sidelines. Someone to tap when you need them and not someone who is part of the team effort to do it, to make a successful product. Love to hear about your experiences with collaboration as UX researchers. Do you identify as an extrovert? How have you fared? Barry? Is, is this a isolating
2: experience? I, I've i sort of struggled with this one as I've read it because I've always felt that... So take the UX and larger HF um, approach. Um, we generally are the sort of people who are the ones who reach out to different parts of teams. And actually, I, I often describe, as, describe us as almost the glue that brings projects together. So to find somebody who's really struggling to get involved in them teams, there's almost, it, this, there's, there's there's there can only really be one of two issues. One is that the, the teams are being really sort of really standoffish and not letting you get involved. Or if you're expecting them to come to you, part of our role is to go out and, and step out and be the person to go and try and drag them in because we're the people we're the people people um and when you're talking with um, and i don't mean to be derogatory to software engineers and, and them sort of types, but they don't talk as much as we do um and um and so we, we we sort of bring them in so depending on which way it goes but i also picked up on this this um rotate to a new product every five weeks that seems if the product, te- if the product uh, development life cycle isn't just five weeks long, and you're constantly rotating through different things, that that sounds interesting and difficult. I'd be quite, in- I'd be quite intrigued as to what the rationale behind that is, because um, I think that could, that's you're clearly making and breaking a team every five weeks, so that's got to be quite a diff- difficult pace to to keep up with. Um, but some, but they say that they're energized by close collaboration and things like that. I do wonder whether it's they enjoy it if it if it happens around them rather than them going out and creating it. So yeah, it, it does. It does sound like it's it, they're in a tough position, but I kind of feel like they need to go out and they need to solve it, and they they are part of the, part of the part of the solution.
1: I have some issues with the way that they phrase things in this. Uh, in, in this, um, it came from it, they they say I'm on a small team of UX researchers, ten researchers. That's not a small team. That is not a small team.
2: No. Um, but I think. Well, that I. Sorry, I went down with that. But they're new it's on on ten plus product teams. So I I looked at it was it was, a, it was a, like one per product team. It's a it's a it's a horizontal. Um, yeah. So, so rather than things, so it's they're not the 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 part of a. Um, so it's not really a team. It's a capability. I would suggest. Yeah,
1: I I I understand that. I I'm just wondering that they they say large company, and I'm wondering what. If what's happening here is that the resolution of uh, projects is so small that, you know, that you can do it in five weeks. You're looking at micro changes on a large product, Um, you know, color of a button or, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, something like that. Right. Where you have this very large team, um, this very large company looking at very micro level changes. And if that's the case, this makes somewhat sense to me. It doesn't give you that opportunity to to build these teams and to, to sort of increase that uh, rapport as this person so puts it. Um, I don't find that the experience as a UX researcher is isolating. I think, you know, I work plenty with designers and PMs and uh, developers and everything like that. And I think our relationships are fine and I speak with them multiple times a week. I think what's happening here is that the resolution on these things are so small. That is my suspicion because when things are that small, there's not a need to collaborate as much. You kind of have the details that you need to set right. If you're looking at a color on a button, well, maybe A B test a couple colors, maybe A B C test, whatever. Do you know there's a couple ways to figure that stuff out without the need for a larger collaborative piece? And I think in human factors, just generally, some of the projects, some of the products, some of the uh, things that we look at are much larger in scope. Some can be micro like that, but I think when you're looking at like a UX research role in an embedded large company, uh, that might be what's happening here. Because I don't think that, that experience is typical of at least those in my network. I feel like it's it's a it's a pretty collaborative experience for a lot of them. Yeah. Any other thoughts on
2: that one, Barry? No, I, I I'd agree. I'm. I think it sounds if they're unhappy in doing this and they've been there a while and it might just be that sort of, um, that might be cultural more than anything else. And I have just been, um, messaged by, um, Amanda, who's actually listening (laughs) uh, to to also suggest that it's, it's, it's potentially more cultural as well. So, um, but so, yeah, so if, if it's something like that, that's going to be completely ongoing, then maybe that's the time to think, well, actually, is this the right, if this is going to be the culture going forward, is this the right position for you? Um, is there a, Better one out there if you want to go and have that more teamy collaboratively approach. Yeah. All right. We got one more here. This is
1: by Dumb087 on the UX Research subreddit. They ask about conducting user interviews over chat. Hi, everyone. I'm a PM at a small startup and I do a lot of user interviews typically over Zoom. After a couple of weeks, I noticed that they're really time consuming do most uh five per day before getting completely burnt out or running out of time in the day i was wondering if anyone else experiences this and whether it makes sense to conduct user interviews over chat instead probably miss out on facial and voice cues but seems like a reasonable trade-off thoughts on whether this could be a viable way to do user interviews barry um
2: what do what do you think about chat um my my initial thought on this, and I've got to be brutally honest, was suck it up, buttercup. Um, interviews are they are hard work. They and I almost get to that 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 piece of if you're not if you're not actually exo- if you're doing a days worth of interviews or you're doing a bunch of interviews and you're not tired at the end of it, are you putting enough into it? Are you actually spending the time and effort to work with the with the interviews interviewees and things like that? Be um, you can do them over chat. You can do them over Zoom, and you, you can do that. There is other ways to do things. And I've done, um, like particularly through COVID and stuff. You know, that was what we had to do. That was that was there. But the richest experience you get, uh, particularly, you know, one to one focus groups in particular. I find if you're doing groups of people getting because not only do you get the the, inter, the 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 output of what they're saying but you get the social cues the interactions between people and you can see whether people have reacted well or badly to what somebody else has said um but if you're doing i mean yeah five five in a day and get complete burnt out or running out of time of the day that that that's the way it is i'm afraid um in my experience anyway i think it, it just it just is if you're if you're trying to downgrade it to chat or through that other thing, just to make your life easier, I think you're going to lose good quality, um, input. Um, if it means you can do more and you can keep going for longer and then you, I guess there is a trade off there to be had. Um, but if you're just a bit tired, then, um, yeah, crack on Nick. What do you think? Am I might just being too un- unsympathetic here. Maybe
1: I, I think, uh, It's a tool in the toolbox that you can use. If you can use a chat bot to get, you know, data from people, use it. If you can use chat as a tool to get data, then use it. There are probably better methods to do so. But if the method matches the scope and the information that you're looking to get, um, there's no reason. Let's use that previous example, right? What color do you prefer? A or B? Okay. Well then, you know, th- that, that that's preference, but you know, there's, there's obviously science that goes into that whole thing, but very superficial level, right? If you need a preference on something A or B, what do you like? You know, that, that could be done through chat and doesn't need to be a full interview. Um, if you, uh, have it as a piece of your toolbox and use it, then why not? You know, I, I just think, uh, it really depends on that scope that we were talking about. What's the level of scope if you're doing like a huge discovery project. Nah, you got to sit down with those people and really understand what their problems. Um, all right, that's it. It's uh, it's time for this last part of the show. We just like to call one more thing. Barry, what is your one more thing? It's exciting.
2: See, I was going to tell you all about my day yesterday where I was my first challenging. Did I tell you, I got a new car, um, oh, yeah. on the EV front, uh, where, where I had a really time pressure day, long trip of 400 miles, to try and do, you know, and it didn't quite work in terms of the adequate charging infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera. I was going to tell you all about that. And then the British Prime Minister said, well, basically hold my pint, hold my beer, because she's designed, d- decided to resign today. Um, and so we, having only been in place for 44 days, that's just like literally just over a month, she decided she's had enough, she can't do the job, and, it, and give it across to somebody else. So that's the latest drama over here in the uk is the fact that we're now leadless again yeah um, well i was doing a little research on on uk politics too and
1: even though they were only in office for 44 days they still get
2: paid uh oh they, they do
1: <laughs> yes so so that's fun that's where your money's
2: going feel good about that <laughs> oh I, I feel so rewarded about that <laughs> what what made it even better was she was doing so they do prime minister's questions every wednesday um every week when when parliament's in session and so only yesterday she stood in front of the leader of the opposition when they were doing their um um verbal soul play and he was basically calling for her to resign and she said i'm a fighter not a quitter and if this what fi- if this is what fighting looks like i'd hate to see what quitting looks like <laughs> uh, uh all right Cor- yeah, it's but it's interesting. I mean, there, there are some interesting little bits about this from our perspective. That Firstly, there's the whole front bit about how, you know, at what point does a leader actually lead and then become managed? Because clearly she's been managed for the past couple of days mm-hmm. uh, by other people around her. And it's it's interesting seeing that almost that transition of power, which has clearly happened. And so from a psychological perspective, I, th- I think it's thoroughly interesting. But as an actual citizen of my country, I find it utterly depressing. <laughs> Well, I have
1: something, I have something a little less depressing. Uh, (laughs) I want to just, I want to start my one more thing with just, wow. Um, I am so undepressed from uh, HFES. It was absolutely amazing. Um, And I just want to take a moment to sincerely thank every single one of you. Yes, you listening to this show who stopped by the booth, said hi, stopped by, you know, told me stories about the podcast, what it means to you in your life. I kept telling everybody that stops by, I see this, this is a camera every week. I talk into this, this is a microphone. And Barry, I see you on my screen alongside the show notes. That is what I see every week. And occasionally there's some chat that pops in and the pre-show was really great for that today, but I got to say it's rare that, and we see the numbers come in and that's, that's all there. But to actually interact with some of you, that was so energizing. I I cannot just I'm still on a high from some of the conversations I had. There were several people who stopped by and and told me that the the podcast actually helped them discover human factors uh, as a field, and now they're going to school for it. Like that is a awesome. huge compliment, and just it, it like I can't I called my wife and almost cried on the phone because I was like, this is going to sound so dumb. You know, I sit in that podcast booth every, every week and do that stupid thing. People come up to me and said they like it and they want me to keep doing more of it. And it means a lot to them. So it, it, it sincerely almost made me cry. And just, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for everyone that stopped by um, and everyone who listens, who can't stop by that. I appreciate you. And um, seriously, the show couldn't happen without you. And uh, it just means the world to me and that's what i wanted to spend my one more thing on this week so uh thank you all for tuning in that's it for today everyone if you like this episode enjoy some of the discussion about maybe what uh, cell phones can do for your mental health go check in with our episode 236 on how we can better define mental health Uh, comment wherever you're listening with what you think of the story this week for more in-depth discussion and for answers on my two truths and a lie you can always join us on our discord community visit our official website sign up for our newsletter stay up to date with all the latest human factors news if you like what you hear you want to support the show there's a couple things you can do one just say hi that that you can do that and that really makes me feel good and Barry feel good too i kept relaying all those stories to barry i was like hey this is this happened and his ego just inflated uh But seriously, if you want to support the show, uh, say hi. Leave us a five-star review. That's free for you to do. You can do that right now, wherever you're watching, listening. Uh, Thumbs up, all that stuff. Two, tell your friends about us. Like I said, we got those show trailers out there now. Show them the show trailer. It kind of gives a good overview of what this podcast and 1202 is all about. Uh, We always love new listeners. And three, if you're able to financially support us on Patreon. That is, um, like I said, seriously keeps the lights on. I keep joking about it, but it really does. As always, links to all of our socials and our website are in the description of this episode. Mr. Barry Kirby, thank you for coming back after that 10-hour live stream and <laughs> agreeing to do another episode with me. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about uh, 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 maybe where you store your phone at
2: night? Yes, well, if you want to come and find out about me and my phone, find us on um, social media, particularly on Twitter at K. If you're come on to the 1202 The Human Factors podcast and in, listen to some interviews with some interesting people, not least of which Mr. Nick Rome has been uh, been a subject of the interrogation, find us at 1202podcast.com. As for me, I've been your host
1: Nick Rome. You can find me on our Discord and across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in Human Factors Cast. Until next time,
2: It depends. depends.